0: Everyone, tonight on this dark night now, time change. Glad that you're here and glad that we can spend another hour in worship to God and study of His Word. Um, tonight, I asked Joseph to read um, Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, because I think it's very important in discussions like this. We're talking tonight about some things that are in the realm of God, some things that we don't understand completely. And when we get in that area, we've got to be very careful that we stay within the guardrails of the scriptures with what God has revealed. The secret things belong to God. There are so many things about God that we don't understand. And if God were to reveal them to us, we couldn't understand them if he did. We're dealing with an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing creator, and we're just little pea-brains. There are so many things about God that we don't understand. We've got to be careful. But this verse goes on. It says, the secret things belong to God, but those things which are revealed belong to us, to our children forever. God has told us what we need to know. We need to have faith in that, that I'm going to stay within the guardrails of what the Scriptures teach. I'm not going to venture out beyond that and surmise and guess things about God and how He works. But I have all that I need to know about how God works right here, and I need to have faith and confidence in that. Tonight, I want to talk about the providence of God. It is one of those areas where God has given us a little glimpse into how He works in His providence. But there are so many things that He hasn't told us about His providence and how it works, why it works, when it works, that we're just going to have to leave to God. And we're going to have to stay very firmly fixed within what the Scriptures teach us on this subject. But having said that, what the scriptures tell us about God's providence is very powerful and very helpful to us as we go through this life. And so tonight I want to spend a few minutes looking at God's providence. First off, we have to uh, wholeheartedly uh, uh, proclaim and uh, profess that God is at work in the world today. There's no question about that, that God is in the world to work in the work, in work in the world today. There are some folks who have the idea. That God created everything in the earth, in the world, created man, created everything that we see around us, and then he just stepped back and watched it go. That he's not involved at all. That God is completely passive. He knows what's going on, but he has no control over what is going on. And the scriptures do not teach that. The scriptures teach us very clearly that God is at work in the world today. In the, the Psalms, numerous places in the Psalms, we see about God's uh, work and action in nature. Look at Psalm 104, verse 14. Psalm 104, verse 14. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. Is God at work in the world today? Yeah. He causes the grass to grow for the cows. If it wasn't for God and his work in the world today, there'd be a lot of skinny cows walking around. God causes the grass to grow for the cattle. And He causes the herb for the service of man. God is in control of the natural world around us. A little farther down in Psalm 104, beginning of verse 21. Notice what it says there. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. The sun arises, they gather themselves together and lay down in their dens. Man goeth forth into his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are Thy works! In wisdom Thou hast made them all. The earth is full of thy riches, so is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships, there is that Leviathan, whom thou hast made to play therein. These wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. All these things are going on. And the psalmist is amazed at that. If you've ever been out early in the morning. Maybe you've gone out and done some hunting in the morning, and it is amazing to see as the sun is starting to come up, you can see those creatures that are checking in from their night shift. They're going to bed. They're going to get in their dens as the sun's starting to come up. And those other creatures that are are, uh, out in the daytime, they're starting to come out. It's amazing. God did all that. He set that up. But they're waiting on God for their meat, it says. It goes on. uh, That thou givest them, uh, they gather. Thou openest thine hand. They are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Is God at play in the natural world around us? Absolutely. Is he he, uh, in control? Is he providing the natural world what we need? Absolutely. And Jesus referenced this in Matthew chapter 6 as he tries to tell us to trust in God because God is taking care of the natural world around us and he'll take care of us. In Matthew chapter 6 beginning of verse 26. Matthew chapter six, beginning verse twenty six Behold the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin, yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall we not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The birds of the air. They are clothed. They have all that they need. that God is feeding them. Uh, the lilies of the field, they, uh, they don't uh, spin. Uh, but God, Solomon was not arrayed like one of them. God's taking care of all of them. And the lesson that Jesus is teaching us is He'll take care of us. And He's going to take care of us by being involved in the natural world around us, by being at work in the world around us. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. God's taking care of the sparrows. Kids, there are times when you might be scared about what's going to happen, and is everything going to be okay? Just take a look at that bird that's flying around outside your window. God's taking care of that bird, that little bitty bird. Have you ever held a bird in your hand, a little bitty thing? And it gets what it needs from God. And Jesus says, God's going to take care of you. We need to trust in Him in that. And so God is at work in the world today. And we cannot deny that. Absolutely he is, and we should be thankful for that. Furthermore, we need to also lay some groundwork that God's miraculous work is complete. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Corinthians chapter 13, beginning of verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning of verse 8. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Paul is talking about a time when the miraculous would cease. As we look at this context and we look at the Bible as a whole, we understand that that time was the first century when the miraculous would cease around the time of the apostles. And when the apostles were gone, the miracles would be gone. When the whole Bible had been revealed to us, there would be no more purpose for miracles. The miraculous has ceased. That is clear from the Scriptures. And so, when we put these two things together, that God is at work in the world today and His miraculous work is complete, then we have to conclude that God is at work in the world today, but He's using natural means to accomplish His will in the world around us. In other words, God's going to take care of you. He's going to give you what you need to wear so that you have adequate clothing. He's going to give you what you need to eat so you have enough food. But they're not just going to vaporize and poof, now you got them. Natural means are going to be in, in place as God provides for what we need. God is at work, and His miraculous work is complete. Furthermore, as we look at uh, what we can know from the Scriptures, as we want to stay within the parameters of what God has told us about how, who He is and how He works, we also know that God's providence does not overrule the will of men. He doesn't overrule the free will of men. God's, work, God's working in the world today But he's not forcing anyone to do anything beyond their will. In Matthew chapter 27, or sorry, Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not? There's a lot of folks in the religious world today who get all wrapped around the axle trying to figure out God. And how could an almighty God who's in control of the world not be dictating everything that man does? How could he not be predestining everything that happens? And he says here clearly that he doesn't. Jesus wanted the Jews to submit to him. Jesus wanted to be able to care for the Jews. They decided that they weren't going to allow that. He wanted to gather them like a hen a chicken gathers her hens under her chicks under the, her wings and they said no we don't want that. And so God's at work in the world today, but his providence is not overruling the free will of men. Furthermore, as we think about the providence of God and what the scriptures teach us about how God works in the world today, we see that God can use both good and evil actions of men to accomplish his will. God's not bound by whether men are going to do good or evil. God can accomplish his will either way. The passage that you probably are thinking about is the one that we've looked at many times from Joseph. As his brothers come to him after his father is dead, and they say to themselves, we got a problem on our hands. Joseph was behaving himself just because dad was around. Dad's gone now, and there's not going to be anybody to keep us from Joseph getting his fair share and getting back at us. And so they go to Joseph, and Joseph isn't bitter, and Joseph isn't vengeful. Notice what Joseph says about their selling him into Egypt. He says, verse 20 of Genesis 50, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. God used their evil actions to accomplish what he wanted to for good. Now, We need to couple that with what we just said about the fact that God doesn't override the free will of men in His providence. There are some people who would say, well see here, these brothers did bad and it was in God's providence that it would happen this way, so therefore God caused the brothers and He made the brothers sin. No, God didn't cause the brothers to sin, God can't do that. But He can use the sinful actions of others to accomplish His will. Hope that's clear. As we look at this, that God is not overriding the free will of men, but if men are committing evil, he can still use that to his good. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 20, perhaps no better illustration of this than in the death of our savior on the cross. It was God's will. God worked providentially so that his son would die on the cross. But he used the evil actions of men that he did not force, that he did not cause, but he was able to use their evil actions for good. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Jesus was purposed in God's plan to die on the cross. God used the evil actions of others without causing those evil actions to accomplish his will. How does that work? We don't understand all that, do we? How could God know all that? How could he work in this way? We don't understand that, but he can do it. That's what the scriptures teach, and we need to uh, accept what the scriptures teach. So God is at work in the world today. He's not working through miraculous means. He's not overruling the free will of men, and he can use either good or evil actions to accomplish his will. So what are some areas where God is working in the world today. You know, the Scriptures tell us about that. The Scriptures give us areas where God is working in the world today. The first of those is for caring for our needs. We've already touched on some of that in Matthew chapter 6. Notice it again. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 30 beginning. Matthew 6, beginning of verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your Father, heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Is God at work in providing for my needs if I'm seeking first his kingdom? He is, isn't he? He said he would provide for my needs, and I need to have faith and confidence in that. David in the Old Testament had experienced the same thing. In Psalm 37, verse 25, I love this expression from David. As he's looking back on his life, and as he looks back, he has the benefit of hindsight being twenty-twenty, And he can see things that happened in his life and how things turned out with regard to God's promises. And Psalm 37, verse 25 says, I have been young, and now am old, Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Isn't that amazing? David said, I've been around for a long time. And it's the same way it is now as it was when I was a little kid. God's taking care of those who are serving him. Happened in the Old Testament. It happens still today. God promises to take care of our physical needs. That's the providence of God at work today. The scriptures are clear on that. We need to stand firm on those promises that God has made, that He'll take care of us physically. But furthermore, and more importantly, God has promised us He'll take care of us spiritually. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Notice this promise. And just like I ought to be rock solid on the promise that God's going to take care of me physically, I need to be that way spiritually as well. That God, through His providence, will take care of me so that I can be faithful to Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Is there going to be something that happens tomorrow at school or at work or in the family where your only choice is to sin? You just can't help it. That you want to do what's right... You want to be pleasing to God, but the only choice you have to do is to do wrong. No, that'll never happen, will it? God, through His providence, has promised us that He'll care for us, that He won't allow us to be tempted above the what we're able to bear. He's not going to present a temptation to you that, wow, it just blows you off your feet, and you can't help it. He's not going to present a temptation to you where the only option is to sin. No, He's always going to give that way of escape, that way to be faithful to Him. It's always going to be there. We need to have confidence in that, and we need to be looking for that way of escape so that we can be faithful. Because in the end, because of God's promises and His providence, if I sin, the only one to blame is me. I wasn't forced to do it. In Romans chapter 5, in Romans chapter 5, we also see that how God works His providence for our benefit so that we can grow spiritually. In Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse 3, as, as Paul was looking at at difficult things going on in his life. And he was talking about Christians having to go through difficult things. Notice how he says that God in his providence will cause this to work out for our good. Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. You're going to have to go through difficult times, Paul says. But the guarantee of God is if we deal with them the way that we should, we'll be better as a result. You know, we think about the storms of life and how they may rage and beat against us. And we might wonder, well, is it just going to beat me down where I can't be faithful anymore? And the promises of God through His providence is, no, it won't. If we rely on Him... And if we live like we should, we will be stronger as a result of things that we have to go through. James chapter 1, verse 2, beginning says the same thing. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Going to have to go through some difficult times. But God in his providence is going to ensure that we'll be better as a result. God's going to take care of us physically. More importantly than that, he's going to take care of us spiritually through his providence. Furthermore, we see that the scriptures are very clear on the fact that God, in his providence, is working in the kingdoms of men. In Psalm 22, the 22nd Psalm, beginning of verse 28. Psalm 22, beginning of verse 28. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. You know, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the, political world today. And in the, uh, in, the, in the governments of men, crazy stuff going on. Wars going on. Uh, all kinds of, of, of things going on to people that are brutal and are not humane. All kinds of things. But God's in control. He's not causing those things, but He's in control. In Daniel chapter 2 verse 21, Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. And he changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding, Daniel says. God, is he in control of the governments? Yeah. He's in control of the kingdoms of men. Uh, as we know, there's a, an election coming up in a couple of days. Guess what? God's in control. God's in control. There's not going to be anything that happens on Tuesday that God can't deal with. He's in control. He rules in the kingdoms of men. How does he do that? We don't know. Why does he do that? We don't know. Why does he choose people to be over nations, certain nations? We don't know. We don't understand all that. But does he rule in the kingdoms of men or does he not? He does, doesn't he? And we need to trust in his providence that he's going to do what he said he would do. Verse 25 of Daniel chapter 4, The most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will. Again, the secret things belong to God, but the things that were revealed to us belong to us and our children forever. I know this. I don't know the how. I don't know the why. But I know this, and I can rest on that, and I can leave the rest to God. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is our approach to any people. Now there are things going on in the world around us that may not be the result of God's providence, right? This may, there's, there's evil going on, that obviously God's not causing, and He will allow nations to suffer for their evil. There are things going on that God necessarily isn't causing, but He can work with what's going on in the world around us. Psalm 9, verse 17, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. God is in control, and He will uh, do what is right. Jeremiah, chapter 25. <coughs> Jeremiah 25, verse 8. Jeremiah 25, verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing. When God makes you an astonishment and a hissing, that's not a pretty thing. And He does that to nations that are evil. God is in control through His providence. We need to trust in that. Furthermore, as we look at ways where God has told us that He works in the providential realm, God has told us that He works in providence for the furtherance of the gospel. We're concerned about the furtherance of the gospel in Franklin, Tennessee. We're concerned about the furtherance of the gospel in Cortez, Florida, and Panama City Beach, Florida, and the world all around us. And we should be praying that God would help the gospel to be advanced and to be furthered because in His uh, providence, He can make that happen. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning of verse 18. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Paul says, "Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and that and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak." Paul wanted through God's providence that, that he would be, that he might be given utterance, that he might be able to proclaim the gospel. That he might speak boldly. He wanted God's help. And God has promised to help with that. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, But I would would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul was in prison. And as a result of that terrible situation he found himself in, God was able to use that providentially so that those who were in the palace heard the gospel of Christ and that others around Paul were encouraged and strengthened to preach the word boldly. God is at work in the furtherance of the gospel through his providence. And as we wrap up our lesson tonight, we need to reiterate that the hows of God's providence are unknown. God works providentially. Can't deny that. We've seen the ways and the areas that he does work in the world around us and in our lives. Can't deny that. We know that he doesn't overrule the free will of men. You can't deny that. But how God works providentially, we simply do not know. And we have to be very careful as we talk about the things in our life. And we have to be careful about assigning providential interaction with our lives in areas where we don't know. Here's an example of that. In Esther chapter 4 verse 14. In Esther chapter 4 verse 14 Mordecai says, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to to the kingdom for such a time as this? You remember the Jews were uh, facing extinction they were going to be annihilated. And Mordecai is telling Esther, you know what? God is going to be faithful to his promises. Providentially, one way or another, he's going to make it work out. But it might just be that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe you are the reason, that you're, the reason you're here is because of God's providence. Mordecai didn't speak Absolutely, on this. He didn't say, you know what? It's God's providence, Esther, that you're the queen. It's God's providence. Look how this is all working out. It's God's providence. No. He says, who knows? Maybe this is providence. In Philemon, verse 10, beginning. In Philemon, verse 10, Paul is writing back to Onesimus, I'm sorry, back to Philemon, about Onesimus. You remember, Onesimus was a runaway slave, he had been converted after he ran away. And now, as part of his repentance, he needs to go back. You remember slavery in those days, oftentimes, was because you were trying to pay off a debt. And if you skipped out on your master, what you were in effect doing is stealing from him because you had a debt you didn't pay. And Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. And notice what he says about Onesimus as he's encouraging Philemon to release him from his uh, servitude and allow him Uh, to be an assistant to Paul. Notice, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou should have received him forever, and not as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved. Paul says, perhaps. Perhaps he left so that he could become a Christian And now he could come back to you as a brother and not just a servant. Perhaps. Now, Paul was an inspired man. And even an inspired man did not know for sure how God's providence worked. All he could say is maybe it was providence. And brethren, as we talk about things in our lives and we look back on things, there are things in my life that I can look back upon and say, boy, that sure looks like providence. That sure worked out in ways that I couldn't have imagined it working out. And I'm sure you can do the same as well. But we need to be careful about assigning providence to things that we don't know. Paul was careful about that. Mordecai was careful about that. We need to as well. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? You know, the problem is, when we look back at things or we look at situations in our life and we say, that was providence. God was working that out just like so so it would happen. Wait a minute. God's ways are past finding out. How can I say that's how God was working when Paul says God's ways are past finding out? Now, likely it wasn't. God is at work in my life providentially. He's at work in your life providentially. And it may have been providence. And maybe it looks like it really probably was. But we've got to be careful. That we don't assign motive where God has not revealed it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, it could just be chance. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11 I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. Time and chance happen to them all. You know, you, things happen in people's lives. Things that maybe not exactly how they wanted them to work out. And many times you'll hear people say, well, God works in mysterious ways. I lost my job that I thought I was going to retire from. Well, it must be the providence of God that I lost my job. God works in mysterious ways. Maybe it might be the providence of God, it might just be time and chance. Might just be that your number was up and they needed to get rid of somebody that got rid of you. And it wasn't God's providence that you'd be kicked out and and let go. But it's God's providence that'll he take care of you, right? It's God's providence that you'll have everything you need. And so we've got to be careful about assigning providence to things that are unknown and uh, we don't know the hows of how God's providence works. And then, as we wrap up, I just want to remind you that we need to have faith in God's providences. We need to have faith in God's promises. God has promised us that he'll take care of us, that he'll work providentially. We need to have faith in that. In Esther chapter 4 again, back to the story of Esther. As Mordecai is encouraging her to be bold, to put her life on the line, to try and protect the Jews, notice what he said. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself, But thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall uh, enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knows whether thou art come to to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai had complete confidence in the providence of God. God had made promises. He had made promises to the children of Israel. And Mordecai had complete confidence in his promises and that he would accomplish them providentially. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 7. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 7, Abraham has been instructed, go kill your son. By the way, it's your only son. And by the way, it's the son that you were promised would be through whom him, uh, the the seed and the nation promise would uh, be delivered and the land promise. The only way you're going to have for God's three promises to be fulfilled, go kill him. Doesn't make sense to Abraham, does it? But he trusts in God's providence. Look at Genesis 22, verse 7. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide a lamb for burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Abraham said, ah, this isn't all making sense to me. <laughs> I can't tell you, son, how it's all going to work out, but I know it's going to. Because God has made promises. And so it is with us, As so we live our lives. There are going to be things that we don't understand. Why is this happening this way? How can this all work out? But we need to have confidence that God will work providentially to fulfill the promises he's made. Well, again, the secret things belong to God but the things that have been revealed belong to us and our children forever. There are a lot of secret things about the providence of God. A lot of things that we don't understand and a lot of things that we couldn't understand. But the things that God has revealed to us in his word, we can understand them. And we need to take great confidence in the the things that God has revealed and have faith in him that he will do what he said he would do. What about you? Are you living like you should tonight? Are there things where you could use the help of your brethren would you let us help? If there's some way that we can help, we you let us know while we stand and sing?